This is yet another <clears throat> exciting episode of Under the Dome. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Rorick, and with, with Sean Williams tonight. Uh, today is actually the first day of minicamp, so that just means the lead, the season is that much closer. We're looking at uh, probably after the camp ends Thursday, what, six weeks before the real training camp starts. So... Um, we got a lot to talk to y'all about because the next couple of weeks is going to be rather boring unless um, something major happens uh, because we're going to kind of be in that limbo land between the end of off-season activities and the beginning of training camp. So, Sean, how you doing tonight? Doing fantastic, man. Uh, getting ready for... Th- weekend where well you know we've been talking about it for the longest time now um that we have been very 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 proud to co-sponsor along with under armor um duck commander and i forget who oh the the mississippi state troopers association uh this weekend will be the the big uh, Future Stars League game. It will be held in Alexandria, and I have note. Uh, I need to announce it. Has, the venue has been changed yet again. The venue is now going to be Louisiana College. Um, I just spoke to Terrell a few minutes ago, and are looking at a 6 p.m. start at Louisiana College football field. Yoga, but the venue has been changed, and I apologize for any inconvenience. But it is what it is, and it's what it is. Uh, it's going to begin at 6 p.m. Saturday at Louisiana College. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing my young man, Gavin. Uh, he's going to be something to watch. I'm all I'm certain of it. Uh, and uh, due to the the way that things turned out, I'm not quite sure which team Joe is going to be coaching, but uh, I'm really, really looking forward to the opportunity to get to meet uh, Mr. Saint, so to speak. Uh, to a lot of people, uh, Joe Horn exemplifies everything that it is to be a, a fan of and follower of the New Orleans Saints uh, football team. And it's going to be such a, uh, a pleasure to be able to uh, look him in the eye, shake his hand, and, and finally to, uh, to meet the man uh, after so many years uh, of watching him perform. We want to thank FanForce Productions for sponsoring us and invite everyone <laughs> to go along and not only on YouTube, but on iTunes as well. Well, subscribe to our podcast and that way you don't ever have to for it it comes to you uh so Colin, uh i f- 
flipping through uh, all my notifications over the past several days, uh, I've, I've noticed that there's really not anything new to report. Uh, and, and before I go any further with this, I, I have uh, I got to come clean, so to speak. Uh, I la a week ago, I, I made the prediction, the bold prediction, that uh, Nick Fairley would not miss a snap. He would not, uh, this is not going to be anything but a bump in the road, uh, media wise. Once, but uh, stand corrected. Uh, there, I believe. Uh, now, this being a week later, uh, the the latest news that I can report on the Nick Fairley situation is that they're seeking a third opinion, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, the results of that have not been disclosed as yet. Um, but. In terms of preparing this football team for September, I believe that uh, the simplest way to put it is this team has to carry on with their business and for all practical intents and purposes, they're going to have to for the possible uh, eventuality that Nick Curley isn't going to be there. Would you say that that's accurate, Alan? Well... <clears throat> I think, um, first off, we don't know anything more than we really what we knew last week. Um, one doctor said, advised that he quit playing football. The other doctor said, no, you've had this condition for seven years. You've been playing football with it. You haven't had any problems. So, no, you can keep doing what you're doing. So, he's getting a third opinion to see, I guess, best two out of three, which that's how he's going to make his decision. Um, and it's important that the Saints are encouraging this. They want him to find out everything he can about his health because obviously his health is more important than his football career. Um, I think the Saints are going to just take it day by day and knowing that Fairley is a veteran, Knowing that Fairley knows what he is going to have to do in this defense, um, they are yes, they're going to prepare themselves like he's not going to be part of the team, but they need him to be part of the team. If that makes any sense, um, you can't wait for any one player to find out whether or not he can play football. So you, obviously, you have to make decisions, but. I think the Saints believe that Fairley will be available this season, that he that the second doctor's opinion will be the majority opinion after he hears from his third specialist. Um, all that being said, and I'm trying to be very careful with this, but all that being said, rumors are running amok. I've read about two or three columns now saying that the Saints need to start making plans as if Fairley is going to have to retire and what do they do from, where do they go from here? Um, you know, in Sheldon Rankin's name, uh, Sheldon Richardson's name comes up, I threw out Sheldon Rankin saying, you know, hey guys, before Fairley did what he did last year, Sheldon Rankin's was supposed to be the man of the three technique. Um, Sheldon Rankins was supposed to be the guy who's going to start and play 
at that defensive tackle spot. And Fairley was supposed to be the guy who was coming in a rotational basis. And it turned out that Fairley was one of our best pass rushers. So that's why this is such a a conundrum, I guess, is the best way to put it. You know, how – where do they go? Where do they replace the pressures and sacks um, that Fairley gave them last year if he cannot play? And that's where the, the Sheldon Richardson rumors are coming from because the New York Jets are apparently having a fire sale. Uh, they are getting rid of everything with the idea of loading up bed story picks on high draft picks and just starting over again for the umpteenth time since 1968. Um, so I, I, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen fairly. As far as we're going on this, I'll stop mm-hmm. you there and mm-hmm. ask you. Uh, the prevailing wisdom, or if you would rather put it a different way, the, the dominant narrative when it comes to the guy you just mentioned, Sheldon Richardson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really how, how many years now? He is in the final year of his rookie contract, so I guess five years. This will be his fifth season. Okay. Okay. Uh, say you're the defensive line. Well, no. Let me, let me back that up. Say Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think really and truly, based on the the prevailing, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the prevailing uh, – narrative that Sheldon Richardson is basically a cancer in the locker room. Do you think that benefits the saints in the big picture? Does it, does it benefit the saints to pursue him? Um, I think the bigger red flag isn't his behavior in the locker room. I think the big red flag is Number one, he's been already suspended for substance abuse. And number two, he's in the final year of that rookie contract. So the Jets are looking for draft picks. And rumor was before the draft started, the um, Jets were seeking a number four pick, uh, fourth round pick, I'm sorry, fourth round pick for him. And um, here's the issue you have with that. Let's just say, the Saints make this trade, we get Richardson. Now, Richardson can play defensive end, he can play defensive tackle. He is better at defensive tackle, but he, he is good at defensive end. He can play both positions. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Let's say we give up well, – we don't have a fourth-round pick, so let's say we give up a third-round pick, okay? Give up a third-round pick for Richardson, and <coughs> – he turns out to be, in fact, a cancer. He turns out to be not quite as bad as Junior Gallette, but someone you don't really want on your team, this very chem- careful chemistry you put together. Or, better yet, he turns out to be a stud, and now he's looking for a big contract. Now, Drew Brees, this contract technically expires at the end of this season. Uh, yeah, we pay Cam Jordan, but you got a few other players that could be looking for some money soon. Uh, Kenny Vaccaro's one that I know of. Might be a couple others uh, in there. You know, 
do you feel obligated to pay him or tag him or whatever if if he has a great season or is he just playing for a contract and then turns out that you know once he gets paid he does become junior Dillette and he has the substance abuse problems recur and all these other things there's a lot of variables around a player like Richardson that you didn't have with a guy like Fairley. Um, I guess my biggest concern with a player like Richardson is if he fits best as a three technique, you make this move and let's just say the doctors come back and say Fairley can play uh, just in a rotational basis. Now you've got three, three technique, Defensive tackles, um, plus on Yamada mixed in there. You know, I I, I just <clears throat> I understand the fans' concerns, but I'd rather not make a move, especially for a draft. I give up a draft pick for a guy that we're only going to have on rental for a year, and then we have to make a decision on what to do with him. Um, well, well, let me ask you this. <clears throat> When it comes to this decision, okay, uh, mm -hmm. and, and let me give you a, a decision to make. You have you choose to pursue Richardson and get that done, or you can go with what it is, which would be Onyemata, um, of course, Rankins. Um, which one is going to give you the split? Which one is going to – I guess what I'm asking – if you stay with with what you have rather than pursuing Richardson, don't you have or stand just good a chance at possibly succeeding? It's a, yeah, and here's the problem. You've got a whole lot of unknowns. Conceivably, what you can do, and I'm probably going to get laughed out of the room for saying this, but what you conceivably could do, let's just say <coughs> you've got um, Davidson in the mix too. you got Davidson really for your first and second down. On third down, they used to go to what they called the NASCAR package, where you would have Cam Jordan slide in as defensive tackle especially if the, if the team who's playing has very weak guards, you move uh, Cam Jordan in defensive tackle, and you kind of put extra pass rushers on the edge. So you would think, okay, maybe that's a way we can figure out we could put Okafor on one end, and maybe with Jordan sliding in next to Rankins, we could put uh, uh, Kihaka on the other end, and that way you got your four best pass rushers coming at it. Plus, you can blitz uh, LRB or, uh, um, I don't know, pick your linebacker here <clears throat> or a safety blitz or anything else like that. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Um, so there's options they can do. You know, and on Yamada, we don't know. You know, last year was kind of his first year of learning. Let's see how much he's grown since then. Um can he step in as an additional pass rusher? Maybe that way you can keep um, you can keep uh, Jordan on the edge and have Rankins and Onyemata in there as your pass rushers. With Onyemata spelling Davidson, there's a lot. 
I heard something yesterday, and it sounds like I'm bouncing all over the place, but I heard something yesterday that Dennis Allen had said. They were asking him about whether or not this is going to be a 3-4 defense, a 4-3 defense, and he said, you know what this defense is going to be? It's going to be your best 11. And that was kind of what I was talking about last week um, when I was going through all the different schemes and things and possibilities it would do. Basically, he's going to put out his best 11 on every down given the situation. So you're going to see a lot of cross-training, a lot of multi-purpose players out there who can play multiple positions. Sheldon Richardson could kind of fit into something like this because he has played defensive end and he has played defensive tackle. So at the risk of telling I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, <laughs> Richardson, could, Richardson could help out in that situation. It all depends on what's up here and what kind of attitude he comes in with and if we can, if the Saints make a move, how much do they have to give up to get a guy like that? And is it worth it based on are you just <clears throat> are you willing to give up a draft pick for a player you may not be able to keep in twenty eight for twenty eighteen? That's that's the issue we're gonna have. And unfortunately, we as fans won't be able to see this until training camp starts and the preseason games start getting played and the practices start having, happening where they're wearing pads and, and, uh, and really live hitting, not shorts and shells. That's the wrong time to be looking for your starting or your reserve defensive tackle. Yeah. Um, you want to make that move ahead of time. So I guess the sooner we find out about Fairley, the sooner, the, the the easier it is to make a decision on what to do if Fairley is not available. Me personally, I think that, um, I well, for lack of a way of putting it, I, I, I don't see the point in pursuing Richardson. Uh, if he is anything at all as described in, in, in the – they're the predominantly overriding narrative surrounding him. If it's anything at all like the cancer in a locker room that people have described him as being, uh, it I, doesn't really gotta, make any difference what you what he does on the field. It's not going to the damage that he's doing behind closed doors. And you know, here's here's the issue with that. And <clears throat> that's the only thing I got to say about that kind of his cancer locker room cancer behavior how much of it is him personally and how much of it is the fact that he's on the new york jets with the kind of chaos they got going on in the jets constantly um yeah you know <clears throat> now i i don't I don't minimize uh you know the fact that over the past couple of months um, the New York Jets, uh, and I have a buddy that's going to grill me for this, absolutely in fire sale mode. Uh, when, when that's the, the structure that you play within, it, there's no telling what you're going to hear, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, the, so, the Jets, I was going to say, the Jets as a franchise have been a, a, a train wreck with periods of sanity, uh, occasional periods of sanity, but most of their existence 
has been a train wreck going back to the days of the New York Titans. Um, your periods of sanity might have been when Weeb Eubank and uh, Joe Namath were there in the AFL days in the 60s. And then when Joe Namath kind of fell off, injuries and so forth, they kind of started to unravel. Then you had uh, Lou Holtz, disaster, seven games as a head coach. Um, you know, Joe Walton's, you know, Richie Kotai, all those horrible coaches they, uh, they've had for years. And, they, and the horrible drafting and recycling old washed-up quarterbacks and old washed-up running backs. And the, they don't do that. They draft terrible running backs. And, you know, uh, th th you had these brief periods with the New York Sack Exchange where they actually seemed like they were halfway decent, especially on defense. And then it goes right back to the chaos again. Then Bill Parcells comes, and they find like an organized football team, and he leaves. You know, so it's just it, – it's, it's a franchise that's in constant disarray. Um, and we're living through another one. And I think in the players see that because especially for a player like Sheldon Rank, uh, Sheldon Richardson, where he uh, <clears throat> can look over the bay, which is has been a measure of stability since the 80s for the most part. Um, it's hard to look at that team and then look at what you're in and stay positive because you're constantly – and you're playing against the Patriots um, twice a year, and the Patriots make you look ridiculous twice a year. Um, it, it, it's – so my thing about him being a cancer, uh, I'm more concerned about substance abuse suspension, being a cancer in a locker room, but – it, it is something you'd have to investigate. It is something you would have to, for a team like the Saints, who are trying to rebuild that locker room and seem to have a much better locker room than they had in 2014. Um, but you've got a lot of young players. Uh, it's a risk. It's a risk to go after somebody like that. So, yeah, my long answer, even longer, let's find out with Fairley um, first before yeah, they I, make any kind of moves. And you got a guy, Dan Williams, has been hanging I, out I don't, there, too. I don't want to put the guy in his coffin, uh, so to speak, uh, early or uh, unnecessarily. I, I really don't. But at the same time, I, I have to uh, – let me see how to, how to choose words carefully. <laughs> I uh, I realize that in this these type of situations um, – real callous team first uh no other alternatives uh i want to recognize the guy's right to uh to have a life and to have a quality of life at the same time um, all that matters with the saints is who's up and available yeah. and uh that isn't going to change for better for worse uh the team still must carry on Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that being said, I wish near, I I still pray daily for uh, nothing but the best in terms of reports and news from Nick Early uh, on this situation. Excuse me, on this situation. Uh, I I hope that 
has a life uh, that is uh, above and beyond and before his uh, his life as a uh, a player. Uh, all that being said, this team, and, and as I started out saying, I guess this team has no option. I would think, but to prepare for the possibility that Fairley will not be with them. And uh, that way, if he does, it's a best-case scenario. Well, you know, if it didn't, if this third opinion hasn't taken so long to come out, I'd probably be even more optimistic. But I guess I, I kind of side with the uh, second doctor beyond the selfish reasons that I want him to play. I think the second doctor is looking at his heart and his condition and saying, look, you've played with it for seven years. We have not seen any kind of progression make it worse that, you know, that would um, necessitate you having to retire for your health sake. Um, It's a risk. I'm sure the doctor told me it is a risk, but you've been playing this risk, and it's the same percentage risk for seven years. And he wants this third doctor to come in and say, look, I want you to do every test you can do, uh, put me through every stress test you can do, and then measure the heart and see how it's doing um, before I make this decision because you're the tiebreaker. And uh, I guess I just view that – I think he'll be able to keep playing. Um, I think the Saints are going to monitor him. He's going to be held out of a lot of practices uh, if he does come back and play. Um, he's going to be put in that veterans rotation. You saw our players like um, uh, Marcus Colston be put into at the end of Colston's career, uh, where they you know take days off. Jari Evans had those things. You know they took days off from practice let their body recover a little bit more. Um, and I think that's what you'll see that happen if Fairley does stay. And I think this whole Richardson's talk will kind of go by the wayside and we could probably make a play for him in 2018 if the Jets let him go. Um, real quick, I wanted to throw these two names out, or this name out. Um, you know, the, the Jets <clears throat> did actually release, and there's rumors that we were trying to trade Cadet to the Jets probably for this guy. Um, but we were trying to trade Cadet uh, to the Jets for uh, the receiver. Um, oh, damn. I just lost it. Forgot his name. Um, Decker. Decker. What is it? What is it again? Decker. Yeah, Eric Decker. Thank you. <laughs> How can I forget Decker? Oh, my God, how could I forget his last name? I mean, I'm a Star Trek buff. And in Wayne the episode... Wayne Corbett. In the episode... Huh? No, not Wayne Corbett. Uh, in the episode Wayne Doomsday Corbett. Machine... Wayne Corbett Jr. Yeah. Wayne Corbett Jr. is Willie Sneed. Not not uh, not Decker. Decker's a lot bigger than that. Um, but, yeah, in the Star Trek episode, The Doomsday Machine, Commodore Decker... And then his son was in Star Trek The Motion Picture, or the guy who was supposed to be playing his son was in Star Trek The Motion Picture. So I should know that, but I still forgot it. Um, <laughs> anyway, 
I like Decker when he became a free agent out of the Broncos a few years ago, and I wanted the Saints to sign him then because we had an aging receiving core, and I thought he would be a great replacement for a Lance Moore, um, Marcus Colston type of player. He's bigger than Moore. I think he's 6'3". Um, he's much more – he's a very – methodical good runs good routes has good hands uh a good possession type of receiver not a burner not a speedster but somebody who could play that three four position for the saints but can fill in as the x as the z receiver you know can do that kind of stuff um and i thought he'd be a great challenge for a player like brandon coleman who could use a, a good push um I don't know what's going to happen. The Jets just released him. Um, I saw, you know, there was talk a while back, a lot of fans were interested in uh, Jeremy Macklin. He got released from the Chiefs, and he signed with the Ravens. And the rumor is Decker's looking at the Ravens as well. But I would like to see Decker just on the roster just to compete. Um, And I would feel a lot better about the receiving core. with a guy like Decker pushing Coleman and pushing Ted Ginn Jr., uh, I would think that would be a you know a much stronger four and five receiving core versus uh, having oh I don't know the guy who was everybody was talking about last week um, Corey um, Fuller. Fuller, thank you. Because <laughs> yeah, I was almost at Tommy, you know Tommy Lewis. Um, and some of the other special teams kind of receivers, um, I would just like a good, solid possession receiver because, to me, it's all about moving the chains. You want long drives, you need receivers who are big, physical, and can move the chains um, and get these long, methodical drives. You you know, uh, at the risk of perpetuating a – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, A bad stereotype, so to speak – Decker fits that mold of the Welker, the Wayne Corbett, uh, the slot, uh, slot guy that uh, possession receiver, so to, excuse me, so to speak. Um, and and I think that we have that in Snead. So I don't really see the overriding benefit of pursuing a a, a Decker. That being something, way of putting it, I don't see that as being something that we need to move to the next level. Well, I, I wouldn't break. Sense. I wouldn't break the bank for him, but I think he'd be. He could play the number two, and you could move Snead full time to the three. Well, nobody's full time in the receiving core in the Saints. That might play their position, <laughs> but you know, you could have. Thomas and Snead on the, uh, Thomas and, and and Decker on the outside, Snead in the slot. And if they go, you know, you could put Kamara goes in motion. He comes in as a fourth receiver. You could put Ted Ginn in the slot where you have Ginn and his speed matched up against uh, the the uh, fifth and uh, sixth cornerback, uh, the nickel and dime kind of guys, uh, as opposed to having a, a a top corner trying to cover him. So it just gives you options. It gives you things you can move around with. And it, the defense has to, you know, has to check itself because um, you have multiple receivers who have had 
multiple receptions. I think uh, Stack, uh, Decker's had a couple thousand yard receiving years. You know, it's not like somebody where you can say, okay, I don't have to worry about him. He's just going to run around, going to clear out route, and he won't do anything. He won't catch the ball, anything like that. That's not going to be the case at all. With Decker, you're going to have somebody who can actually threaten the defense. So it's just throwing it out there. I'm not going to be crushed if we don't get him. I just, yeah, it's yeah. something I would like. I'm looking well, at my Christmas catalog, Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog. And I'm circling that page right there. You know, this is something <laughs> I want on my Christmas list. One of the things that we did seem to, uh, to bring home to airline drive from the, uh, the big apple is a new quarterback in the uh-huh. rotation. Uh, Nasib. Got it. Ryan Nasib. Yes, you are pronouncing uh, great. What, what is your, uh, your book? I, I know that you have a, uh, a much better feed <laughs> on quarterbacks than I do. Uh, your your book on Nasib coming into the Saints organization from the Giants. You know, I actually read something uh, where at one point, I think it was 2013, coming into the 2013 draft, 2014 draft, I have to go back and look again because I forget the year. Someone actually had him going in the first round and reality kicked in and he went in the fourth round to the Giants. I don't look at him as anything more than a camp arm right now. Um, He's coming in with OTAs wrapped up. This is his first live action, this mini camp. Uh, He's got a lot to learn. Um, The Saints like to bring four quarterbacks in, especially with the number of receivers they have, so they can split the reps up evenly among Breeze. Uh, for some reason, the media still thinks uh, um, Luke McCown's on the team. But Breeze, Daniel, um, Grayson, and now uh, Nabib. You got, you've got um, you got Nassib. Good, Nassib. I'm sorry, Nabib. Watch the Johnny Quest again. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, you you know you 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 can split the reps up pretty evenly among the four of them. And I would be very surprised, <coughs> A, if the Saints keep more than two quarterbacks on the final roster cut down, and B, that he survives long enough to go in the practice squad or anything like that. Um, he has to really show something in practice. Um, I, I just – I think it's just a guy – just another guy coming in. It's like getting excited about <laughs> – Excuse me, a, um, a a seventh running back joining the Saints team. I mean, you know who the starter is. You know who the backup is. The other two guys just kind of having a pillow fight right now. And um, whether or not one of them actually hangs around long enough to make the practice squad, we'll see. Uh, before we go any further, and I apologize for my disorganizedness, is that a word? Disorganization. Yeah, disorganization. disorganization. Okay, that'll, that'll do. Uh, I want to announce not only my little mini, uh, my son Andrew, tomorrow is his number five birthday, and 
he is my heart of hearts, uh, along with his sister, uh, which is a whole different uh, concept. But also, tomorrow is the birthday of one of our most staunch and diehard supporters, uh, the guy that always seems to know the perfect moment and time to reach out to me and, and uh, I can tell you that when he does, I never hear from this guy without uh, walking away from it with a smile on my face. Jerry Poor, thank you so much for uh, being a part of what we do and a very, very happy birthday to you, my brother. Uh, you are one of the reasons that we do this. Uh, the, the absolutely the input that you absolutely. have with us uh, I hear more from Jerry and uh, just in terms of kind of a comparison here Jerry's not on Facebook he's not on Google excuse me he's not on Twitter the only way that I hear from Jerry is privately and I still um, outside of my man John Pinto Jerry is probably the one that I hear from the most and uh, all, all funniness aside, Jerry's godsend because, uh, like I say, he seems to have this knack of knowing when to reach out to me when I smile the most, and he fails to deliver that. And, and Jerry, brother, I hope that you have the most awesome day tomorrow. Uh, you absolutely deserve it. Happy who that birthday, brother, from us. Absolutely. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, moving on. Uh, basically, what we we skipped a week ago that we uh, we kind of promoted that we were going to do, but we ran out of time after we did, was the uh, photographs and memories segment where we remember. Uh, <laughs> and we were going to do a week ago... Uh, and Alan, while you gather your thoughts, I'll go ahead first on this. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> I'm not gonna put you out there, brother. Uh, basically, we're our photographs and memories segment this week's on is the most memorable New Orleans Saints game that we have. And for me, while it would be easy to say uh, Super Bowl where we defeated the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, no, that's not mine. Uh, and my, my second place, uh, the uh, NFC Championship game two weeks prior to the Super Bowl, where they defeated the Minnesota Vikings. That's a close second. But no, that is my all-time uh, most memorable game. Uh that being said, I, I have to go with uh, the return to the Superdome. Uh, strictly, uh, you know, I'm not going to get all sappy and uh, pull at your heartstrings and so on and so forth. For everything that game stood for and for everything that that game meant, not only to the Saints team, and not only the fact that it was against the Falcons, our most hated and reviled uh opponents and uh, all that but 
what that game stood for in terms of coming back home and to the fan base. Uh, and to be totally honest with you, um, this is not a game that I watched. This is a game that I listened to on radio. And I promise you that when uh, my man, Gleason, blocked that punt, uh, I, I was doing laps around my bed here. But without a doubt, that's probably my most memorable Saints game by far because big way of looking at it and thinking of it, I do believe that the march to Miami and that Super Bowl victory, or excuse me, the march to Miami ran through the Superdome and the Minnesota Vikings and culminated with the victory over the Indianapolis Colts in the Super Bowl. That began that night in the Superdome against the Atlanta Falcons. But anyway, that that's my thing. Uh, you're up, brother. <laughs> I was at that game. You know, here we go. Uh, once again, one of our friends, we like, there he goes again. He was at every freaking game that was. <laughs> uh, I was at that game. My uh, my wife had given me tickets, uh, season tickets in 2006 um, as a uh, early Father's Day present back in, you know, we just signed Breeze and we drafted Reggie Bush. She, draft, she got season tickets, so I was there. Uh, in fact, my point of view when you see that countdown and you see that guy jump up in the air and they pull the uh, the banner down with the reopening of the dome, I was standing there. That was my point of view. I was about less than a foot and a half away from those cameras and NFL Films uh, was there filming that. So I went in there and that block punt happened and I sat in the corner end zone in the loge. Um, there's a little glass partition that was right here next to my seat separating my seat from the club section, you know, so I was at the riffraff, not the elite side over there in the club section. Um, so I sat there and my seats were right above where the scenes came out. So that is the end zone that that play happened in. And I'll never forget two things that stood in my mind at the beginning of that game. Uh, we're watching warm-ups and Morton Anderson is just booming kicks again. And some guy about a seat or so behind me say, yep, there's a game winner right there. You know, more than kicking a long kick. And I bring that up because that was the mentality that fans had regarding the Saints prior to that game. That anything bad that could happen will happen. And if you lower your expectations about the Saints, you will never be disappointed because they will do exactly what you expect them to do. They're going to find a way to lose. Was, you know, in, when, we were, when I was a kid, the most common phrase was they, uh, they managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, they found more ways to lose in the last few minutes than any team you'd ever, you could ever watch. Um, so, yeah, so when that block – And they earned it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and earned that money. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, you talk about memorable moments for games and Falcons games. My God, I remember games like most people remember presidential assassinations, natural disasters, and, you know, family tragedies. You know, Big Ben in 1978, where, you know, little Alfred Jenkins catches a, a Hail Mary pass from uh, Steve Barkowski. Saints players knock it all up in the air, and he catches it and scoots in the end zone and, and wins the game. Uh, or, uh, you know, in 79, the rematch, uh, the ball sails over Russell Oaksleben's head uh, in overtime. He tries to pick up the ball to do something with it and does something even worse than Gary Uprimian in the Super Bowl. He throws the ball right to the Falcons charging linebacker. They score the touchdown. The game's over in overtime. I mean, that's the kind of memories I have of the Saints most of my life. Going to bed again, you know, the Saints play the Raiders. They're up 35-14. Going to bed saying, oh, playoff tickets, okay, printed. I'll get to go to the playoff game and stuff and wake up the next morning. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget my dad used to leave the newspaper out for me, you know, before I went to school in the morning. He'd leave it sat out there on the kitchen table, and the sports page was laying right on top. And then second <laughs> coming headlines, you know, font this big says, they lost. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I keep looking going, this has got to be a joke. This can't be real. 42 to 35. It was 35-14 in the third quarter. How did this happen? Well, you know, and of course you see it and you realize that once again, they figured out a way to lose. So, <laughs> you have about the Saints. So, when Gleason blocks that punt, and then they block a kick. They block a, a field goal later on by Morton Anderson, which you know we kind of forget about in that game. And it just it starts that golden age of Saints football, where Absolutely. suddenly now, suddenly now, all the things that you know you could think would go wrong are now going right. You know, this sure. time we're getting his hit balls for touchdowns. We're the ones making the big plays. We're the ones snatching, making the other team snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And the L. So yeah, that's that's a great memory. Um, that it that year, the uh, I'm not the 2009 season, the Super Bowl mm -hmm, season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the time that Darren Sharper had a pick, not to mention a pick six. Uh, I I gotta be honest. Um, as a Saints fan, I'm sitting there going. Well, I wonder how long it's going to be for the other shooter, you know. And each week, victory on victory on victory on victory. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, boy, when this finally does crash, it's going to be painful. Mm -hmm. But it, well, it never did crash. Uh, no. and, and then the, Go ahead. I, I've said it before. I've said it before. The entire time I'm watching the NFC Championship game, I felt like Peyton Manning did, you know, when he says in America's game, this is our time. You know, we're not going to lose this game. I don't care what happens. Someone's going to make a play that we're going to win this game. It never occurred to me that Brett Favre was going to get that team in the field goal range and they were going to kick a field goal and win this game. I just it, – it, it was like that's that can't happen. It's not going to happen. That happened to the old Saints. That wouldn't happen to this team, you know. And my dad is still in that mindset, even though they won a Super Bowl. My dad still has that mindset, you know. That, and I, I guess it's years and years of conditioning 
<laughs> you know, kind of, you know, waterboarding conditioning, but uh, <laughs> years and years of conditioning where you just expect, you know, well, same old Saints, they're going to lose, they're going to figure out where to lose this yeah. game. Um, you cannot imagine how many lifetimes it was for, and I'm sitting here in the, the plush, luxurious, under the dome studios. Uh, you cannot imagine how many lifetimes it was for me to sit uh, five feet where I am right now and sit and wait for them for Garrett Hartley to line kick up and to kick it because I mentally envisioned every possible there again, uh, business as usual, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You can to imagine all the things that I imagined sitting there waiting for him to line that kick and to kick it. Uh, and lo and behold, I started down on all fours and sitting there like this. And he lines it up, he snapped the ball, he kicks it, and it seemed like three days that it took the camera to shoot, to turn, and get the angle that showed where the kick went. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, he missed it. And I mean, right through the uprights, right on that tub. Yeah, you know. Dayton put it. The thing, uh, the thing I remember, because once again I was at that game, <laughs> but I was uh, I was standing there. I can do this now because I, I have a camera. I was standing like this the whole time, you know, hands on my knees, leaning forward like this, looking <laughs> at, at it intently. And the thing I remember most about that play, that that field goal, is the the dead silence of the dome. Like everyone's holding their breath, and you can hear his foot hit the ball. And you don't normally hear that, something like that in a dome. You don't usually hear the kicks, but it was like that boom. And then the, as the ball goes through, the, the crowd starts to get a little bit louder, a little bit louder, a little bit, and then it goes through and then just exploded, you know. Um, it was louder when Gleason blocked the punt. But it went on longer because it was setting the stage up and everything else after Hartley's kick. That that's that's my comparison of the two. And here, you, you know, know, here's a game. The, the thing that gets me, uh, and I take a lot of, be uh, for lack of a better way, but I take a lot of abuse sometimes because I look at that uh, that return game as bigger than the NFC Championship. And when it comes down to choosing between the two, I look more at the NFC Championship game as being a big game than I do the Super Bowl. Um, if we would have lost the Super Bowl, I think it wouldn't have been nearly as satisfying. Um, but the fact that we won it, it's just like winning against that Cardinals game, Reggie Bush's great game. Um, it's almost an afterthought because we won that Eagles playoff game in 2006, and we won in 2000 that first playoff game, 
it was kind of like, okay, you've done it. Now you have to keep going. Now you have to keep moving forward. You know, fans forget the fact that the Saints won a playoff game in both 2011 and 2013 um, because it wasn't a championship game. You weren't back in the Super Bowl. So now those playoff wins kind of got forgotten. You know, you beat the hell out of Detroit in 2011. And people yeah. just like, oh, yeah, that's right. We did play Detroit, didn't we? Oh, and, or you won your first playoff game ever on the road against the Eagles. You're like, yeah, but we got beat by Seattle the following week, so that game doesn't important any, isn't yeah. important anymore. You know, and, and so uh, going in circles a little bit, that takes you to the, <laughs> ga- the game I most remember, or I guess my favorite game uh, – is the Saints-Rams game in 2000 um, because that was your first playoff win, period. You finally broke the ceiling yeah. on that game. And that game, in so many ways, encapsulated your life as a Saints fan. You, mm-hmm. this, I mean, Willie Jack, you know, Joe Horn gets hurt, first off. She's like, oh, my God. How the hell are we going to win? We've lost our quarterback. We've got Terry Allen and his two plastic knees who can't – he can't run anymore, you know, as a running back. Um, you know, and now we lose Joe Horn. Who the hell is going to catch any passes now? Well, Willie Jackson has a career night. And each touchdown that Willie Jackson got, the crowd got louder and louder and let me put a disclaimer. I was not at that game. It happened to be that the same day as my youngest's baptism. Okay. So I couldn't be at that game. I had to be there for my daughter's baptism, which was during the day. So we could still go to the game at night. <laughs> I mean, you could still watch the game at night. So watch a game at my dad's house. Um, but yeah, each time Willie Jackson caught another touchdown pass, another big play, the crowd got louder and louder. And it's getting to a fever pitch. You're up 31 to 14, I think it was, 31-7 in the fourth quarter, and the Rams come back. And it's like all the air is drained out of the room. Yeah. Um, you know, once again, the Saints fans are going, here we go. It's going to happen to us again. She's like the damn Saints-Eagles game in 1992, <laughs> 26 points given up in the fourth quarter. Just like the, the Saints-Falcons playoff game from 1991 where Michael Haynes scores two quick touchdowns and beats us after we dominate him in the first half. You know, just like everything that ever happens to this franchise, <laughs> you know, you, you think you can, you're going to win, and no, it's just a big tease. You're not going to win. You know, it's the ultimate – this will be this will be on the list. I know this will be on the list. I'm going to say this. Well, you know, it, it's like going. Not, it's like not, hold on. Say, let, let me do this comparison. It's like going out with that girl you've been dying to go out with. And, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. I ain't and, this. <laughs> and she teases you all night long. You you think you're finally going to get lucky. And she turns you down, walks away, and you have to go home with, you know, the usual problems <laughs> teenage men have. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what it was like. And then 
then we, to have we, to have Hakeem drop the ball, huh? We had such a time before the FFA got FFA. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, hey, oh, well. I just described my dating life, so you know what the hell. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, yeah, you know when Hakeem drops that ball, it was just like. Yeah. Jim Henderson did it so perfectly. His voice even cracked, you know, because he was like, uh, "It has to always say football." I mean, that that whole radio <laughs> call is just because that's how the fans were. Like, are you serious? I can remember my wife looking at me like, "Wait, is that how the game's going to end? Can it end that way?" I'm like, "Yes, we won. It's over. They don't have the ball. They have no timeouts left. They're done." This game's done now. We we got the ball. So yeah, it's uh it it you know when it, that it, that year when when the when the brackets were made and the draw came out. Uh if you remember excuse me, that Los Angeles Rams team that we played was the defending Super Bowl champion. Yep. That was the and year they, after they beat the Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl. Yes. And yes. I can I can remember as clear as a bell that are looking at me going, yeah, your Saints made it, but uh, look who they got to play. And I'm like, hey. And they kicked our ass the, the week before. They, uh, Marshall, I, I, want you guys, I, I want you guys to watch and see what my team does to the Rams. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, humble pie is going to be awful. Uh I never, never thought that it would come to fruition the way it did. And that you was know, shame on me, but hey. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, of all the radio calls I've ever heard Jim Henderson do, that Hakeem drops the ball has got to be my favorite all time. I like it better than Pigs Have Flown. I like yeah. it better than uh, We're Going to Party with Lombardi in New Orleans. Um, you know, I like it better than the uh, even the '87 radio call when the Saints finally have a winning season, um, yeah. because the emotion, you know, they just this the release because you yeah. felt like finally, and it was such a Saints way to win because you, it looks like, I mean, if you think about that, what happened right before Akeem dropped the ball, right before that punt. Robert Wilson, the receiver for the Saints, is wide open in the middle of the field. Brooks throws the ball. He jumps up, gets it, comes down, got the ball like this, comes down, lands on his back, and when he lands on his back, the ball hit. He pulls it down to his chest and then drops it. So, you know, you're screaming at the TV, that's a reception, that's a reception, you know, because it would have been a first down. And the game would have been over right there. There wouldn't have been a punt. So, you know, like, you know, in the course, what's going to happen? The refs, of course, are going to rule against the Saints. You know, they're not going to get the break. So you have to punt. So now you got to sweat it out against a Rams team that's hot, that shows it can score in no time. So, yeah, it, it's the ultimate Saints way to win. I mean, you know, yeah. to have the guy you know, drop the ball. I remember in 09, uh, people asking me, you know, you feel how, how is this uh, as a Saints fan? How blah blah blah? And I can remember vividly uh, telling people over and over and over and over, if we never reach this point again, we're here now. 
we have reached the mountaintop. Uh, you know, no matter what happens from here on, we have gotten here this time. And mm-hmm. every year when I get pissed off that we haven't made the playoffs, we haven't made a winning, I think think back and remember what I said then. I thought, you know, uh, there it is. <laughs> I, I, I've told this on the show before. There, one of the reasons why I wasn't angry in after the 2011 loss to the 49ers, like I was, say, in 2006 when we lost the Bears the MC Championship game, is because it didn't it, – we'd already won a Super Bowl. So I felt like, oh, we'll be back. You know, we had some bad breaks. We turned the ball over. We'll be back. We, we just need to take care of the ball better, not get Pierre Thomas knocked up by a damn illegal hit that they don't call a flag on. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'm not bitter about that. But uh, – you know, not, not at all. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we just we just made too many mistakes. We lost the game. The 49ers didn't win it. Uh, that was my mentality. After that game was over, we gave up. When you turn the ball over five times, you shouldn't have won. And yet we're in a position to win twice. Um so I've, and then Bounty Gate happens, and then of course you know team gets old, and we make trades, and we don't have Jimmy Graham anymore. We don't have uh, Darren Sproles anymore. Uh, those kind of the you know, film is gone. John, uh, Greg Williams is gone now. Um, you know, so of course, as the years go on, you start looking back at that game like, oh man, that was the year. That was our year. We could have done a, a two peat right there. So that game hurts more now than it did when it when it actually ended, and for the same reason you just said. Yeah. Uh, but we won, we won it, you know. So I'm not upset because we'll be back. And you forget how long it took and how much effort it takes to to get back to the playoffs and the margin. Well, you, you of know, error. I, I think I think conventional wisdom, and you and I have talked about this before several times. At 2011 team was head and shoulders uh, from a from a talent standpoint was head and shoulders above what the 2019 team was. Oh yeah, especially offensively, it was a much better team offensively. The weapons were much better. Um, the receiving core was a lot better. You had a Jimmy Graham who was a better tight end than uh, than Jeremy Shockey. Uh, you know, Darren Sproles is a better player than um, than uh, Reggie Bush. Uh, Pierre Thomas was more mature, but Pierre Thomas wasn't your your number one back. You had an Ingram, you had a Chris Ivory, you had options at back at running back that you didn't have in previous years. And I thought the offensive line was playing at its peak. I mean, Jari Evans and Carl Nix were at their peak in 2011 as far as being the best guard tandems in the NFL. Uh, you know, so it, it, it was a team that was on the rise that you felt like if we don't have an injury to Pierre Thomas, if we don't turn the ball over five times, that we should have beaten that 49ers team. As good as that defense was, our offense was better. Um, and you know, looking at the teams that were left in the NFC, the the Packers, the Giants, that the Saints were better than both those teams. Um, even though we lost the Packers early in the season, the first game of the season, we played that game down to the very last play of the ball game 
where Ingram gets stopped inches from tying the game. Well, they may have to go for a two-point conversion, but that's beside the point. Um, the point is they were in a position to tie that ball game if they get that touchdown. And the Giants, we destroyed them in 2009. We destroyed them in 2011. You knew we were going to destroy them again in the Dome because we were 8-0 in the Dome. Uh, so, yeah, the difference between that team, obviously, and the uh, 2011 I and mean, 2009 is the turnovers. We weren't getting yeah. the turnovers. Uh, I always say the same thing. Um, you know, Roman Harper did not have a Tracy Porter moment. He does not make the interception that Tracy Porter did. Yeah. Um, uh, a of Ron Davis and picks off that pass. That game's over. We win, and it becomes the greatest playoff game in Saints history. Yeah. Uh, just from the excitement standpoint, the big play standpoint, um, greatest playoff victory ever in Saints, Saints history. So, I agree completely. What could um, have been? That would have been on my list, um, you know, as the greatest Saints game. We thank you guys for joining us tonight. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to do something that's completely unexpected and uh, probably for the the for all practical intents and purposes, unprecedented. We're going to try to maintain our time tonight. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, once again, we want to thank Fan First Productions for sponsoring us. We want to thank you, our followers, our fans, our supporters. Without you, there is us. Thank you guys so much for everything that you do. Thank you for being uh, interactive during our show. Thank you for interactive on our facebook page which i'm happy to announce at this point in time we have just uh in the matter of the last couple of days we have surpassed 1.2 thousand uh followers on facebook uh, our twitter account is growing exponentially the day as well we thank you guys so much uh for your support because as i a moment of a moment ago uh without you there is no us we invite you guys to reach out to us uh, on our facebook page under the dome podcast on facebook uh you can reach out to us on twitter at under the dome po1 um let us know what you liked what you didn't like what you'd like to see moving forward we invite you to be a part of our show uh, you are anyway, but uh, this is this is an opportunity for you guys to be retroactive. Uh, Alan, do you have anything else for everyone? No, I mean you kind of covered it. Uh, you know, want to make sure to mention the birthday announcements. We got that. Um, yeah, you guys make the show. Um, next week we'll probably wrap up. Um, you know, OTAs and the uh, and the mini camp. I mean, shorts and shells. Uh, people kind of freaked out because apparently they didn't understand the uh, the comment that Kamara broke Manti Teo's ankles on a cut. And people were like, oh my God, a linebacker's hurt. Like, no, not literally. It just, <laughs> he juked him so bad that Manti Teo uh, lunged at empty air. You know, so yeah, that's just a—it's a basketball expression, I guess. But um, 
again, you know, it's shorts and shells, no contact. The offense is going to look better than the defense in a lot of regards, but I understand Devin Bro's having a good camp so far. Um, we'll kind of wrap that up. And then for the next couple of weeks, we're kind of kind of rely on you guys to tell us what do you want to talk about? What do you want to get into? What don't we talk about that you'd like for us to talk about? Um, because it's going to be the dead time in the NFL season. Um, the players are not going to be in the facilities. They're going home. They're going to be spending some time with their families before training camp starts, which is like the last week of July. And yeah. they are training in New Orleans. So people will be able to go see them, you know, this year as opposed to being at the Greenbrier. Uh, <clears throat> so, we're yeah. Going, I'm going to try between now and next Tuesday night, I'm going to try to find a viable and accurate timetable uh, schedule in terms of not only the workouts, but um, also uh, the, the mini camps, uh, the fall camp, whatever. I'm, I'm going to try to find something to let you guys know what will be open to the public and what will not. Uh, all that being said, I do believe that this week's workouts are open to the public. Am I right on that, Alan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there again, thank you guys so much for being part of what we do. Yeah, the only the only things that – I'm sorry to interrupt real quick, but the only things that are not open to the public is if the weather conditions require them to go inside the, uh, the training facility or they yeah. decide to have practices in the training facility. Those aren't going to be open to the public because there simply isn't the room for everybody yeah. to, to, yeah. to sit in there and watch. I've been in that training facility, too. It's very, very nice. And uh, you don't realize, you don't realize, um, I was throwing out patterns to the back pylon in the end zone, okay? Now, I'm standing about the 20, 25-yard line. I'm throwing these balls. You know, NFL regulation footballs. Aiming for the back corner, telling my son, run an out pattern, just go right down there, I'm going to hit you right there. And I threw about 10 or 15 passes. You don't realize how far that is until you start throwing the ball there. Now, this was about 10 years ago, so I was a little bit younger than <laughs> I was only 40, you know, instead of being nearly 50. I ain't, uh, I ain't talking that. Oh, well, you know, after the third or fourth when I'm going, damn, this hurts throwing this far, you know. Uh, and But I have to say, I, I kept it in, you know, I my gotta accuracy be, I gotta be honest. pretty good. But. I got to be honest. I, I don't know what I'm struggling with more than, uh, the mental image of you throwing out patterns or the mental image of Matt running out patterns. I, Matt was about 10. Matt was about 10 or 11 years old when we, when we did this. It was 2007 <laughs> or 2008. Uh, was running, oh, it might have been later than that. It might have been 2011 we were doing this. I forgot. He'll remember this better than I will because he was on the flag football team back then. Yeah, he was on there because Allison played with him. and she would, They wouldn't let Allison play because it was an all-boy team. They let her play during the season. But this was the championship, and uh, they wouldn't let her play. But they let us play in, inside the because we had we had the things at the training camp facility, and uh, we got to go inside and uh, in the in the indoor facility. And I was throwing the ball because they just had balls up there and people goofing around and stuff. So I stood there yeah. and I was 
dropping back and setting up and throwing like I'm a big NFL quarterback. And I'm like, God, that's far. <laughs> I can't imagine just getting around the about midfield, around the 50, just cranking it up and throwing it up as high and as far as I can. I just can't imagine doing that anymore. And Drew Brees is, you know, years old and he's been doing that. You know, it's just the training, you know. It's it been a good 10, 15 years since I last threw a football uh, like that before I started to try and do that. Now it's been another 10 years since I did it. So, anyway, <laughs> that's my story. I tell everyone um, at some point during the day on Saturday when I go to the uh, – the Future Stars League game is at Louisiana College. Uh, I want to tell everyone that as uh, as battery permits, I'm going to be making uh, Facebook Live updates on our page uh, and so on and so forth. So I invite you guys to, uh, to follow along on that. And once again, uh, for the final time tonight anyway, uh, I want to thank everybody for your diehard support of us. Uh, you guys have made this the most awesome run. Uh, it, it's, it's far more than I I envisioned a year ago, and uh, we're coming up on a one year anniversary, so we're gonna have to plan something special for that. But anyway, uh, next Tuesday night we're gonna have a special surprise for everyone. So. Uh, invite you all to come back next Tuesday night. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys for joining us. And once again, we went over 15 minutes, but that's because I had to tell my stupid story about throwing a football. <laughs> and Matt's going to correct me. He's going to tell me, yeah, it was 2011, you dumbass. Don't you remember? So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no memory goes too. I just remember bad things like the Saints game. So all right, well, guys. Uh, we got to <laughs> depend on Matt to keep us honest. You know? That's right. That's right. All right. Thank you, guys, and good night, everybody.